0: Now it's time for Inspirational Women, and my guest is Kari Wagner-Peck, a homeschooling mom, an advocate, activist, storyteller, and also a new author. Her book is Not Always Happy, An Unusual Parenting Journey. This is such an insightful story on many levels and adds another layer to our focus on adoption, a critical and inspiring one. So let's meet Kari and hear some of the story. Kari Wagner-Peck, good morning, and thank you so greatly for being with us this morning.
1: Thank you, Kate. I'm excited to be here.
0: Well, you have, I'm going to say, every reason to, to do so because you are talking about a brand new book, but you're also talking about a son whom you deeply love in this book about your parenting journey. So it is a very exciting time, isn't it?
1: It really is. I mean, my mission really in life has become to educate people about neurodiversity. In my case, our case, my son has Down syndrome, Um, to see it as a difference, not something less than, but to do it in a way that was real, the way we lived it. Um, And the way we live our life is messy and funny and not just about Down syndrome. And so I wanted to share that with people without, you know, talking, like convincing them on something or being preachy, but just saying, hey, this is what our life looks like.
0: And my feeling, Kari, is that... We certainly get a wonderful insight into your life. Now, wonderful should be a bit qualified because there are times in sharing this story, there are some really hard things going on. So that doesn't feel so wonderful. But the fact that you are able to express it and to make us feel that we are part of that journey with you, I think that's where, you know, just your talent in storytelling and sharing really comes across.
1: Thank you. I mean, I, you know, some of the things that have changed my perceptions were stories, you know, and how people wrote about their experiences. And I think it's a really powerful medium, you know, sometimes so much more than a textbook or a lecture that it enlightens us in a different way.
0: And that's such a key word, enlighten. Mm. I feel that that is so much of what we can receive from this book, Not Always Happy, and Unusual Parenting Journey, is being made aware of um, how we might say things or look at things and how we might act and react. And this gives us, I feel, a way to think about that and maybe be much more methodical about how we approach a person, people, groups of people, that sort of thing.
1: I think so. You know, my message is really about inclusion, which is, I mean, I think what most humans search for, being included, is important. Um, And sometimes we don't know how to do that. You know, let's say the person speaks a language differently, you know, a, a language different than our own, or they have a different sexual orientation, or... They have difficulties in communicating. And I think we have to just see people as human beings and then, you know, figure out what's our responsibility in terms of making that connection with others.
0: So for you and your husband, this is an adoption journey as well, which I think just makes it so much for me, more heartfelt in a way. You saw Thorne and you said, we love this child. He is ours. You saw this little boy and you were ready to be parents. And that's essentially what you're wanting to convey to others is to see this human being, this really delightful child.
1: Yeah. Well, and and when we agreed to adopt him, we hadn't even seen a photograph. You know, we got a photograph a month after we agreed And then it was almost four months before we met him. You know, we were getting information to our foster care worker, you know, little tidbits about him. But it is amazing how, you know, once you know in your heart or your soul or wherever that is, this is your child. You know, you just all of a sudden, (laughs) we're just changing our entire lives for somebody we would never met. And you're really going on faith, which I think a lot of, I think that's what a lot of parenting is. So it was a exciting time imagining what our life was going to be like with him.
0: And as it unfolded, some of it was like that. And some of it was, um, well, you use the word messy. It, It got kind of messy too.
1: It did. I mean, we had all these stipulations about what we do. Like, you know, we wanted a child that didn't have a disability, actually, um, and also a child that had been PPR'd, which is their parental rights had been terminated. So there's no risk of losing the child once they're in your home. Because if you don't do that, the biological parent could still make a case for becoming a custodial parent. And Soren was an issue of those, I mean, he, had a disability, and he was not TPR, would And it was, you know, most of parenting those first few months were really, really joyous, but it was also terrifying because we were afraid we would lose him. And I'm not against somebody getting back their child. You know, if they've done all their work and they're ready to be parents again, people should have that right. But, yeah, it was a scary time.
0: And... For the right reasons, his mother decided she would allow the adoption to go forth. And I think the fact that you had the empathy with her, uh, again, is such a big part of the story that you understand where she was coming from, but yet you were joyous, the fact that you had your your little boy now.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a really complicated relationship, particularly if your child has been treated poorly or hurt by their biological parent. Like I am forever grateful to her for creating Thorin. And I also, you know, have these conflicted feelings about him not being treated well. It's a very, you know, and I'm sure Thorin has conflicted feelings. I mean, he refers to her, I don't know how he came up with this term, but he calls her his ex-mother. Mm. sort of like in a divorce, like, well, that didn't work out. (laughs) (laughs) And for him, that really gives him a sense of place. He's like, you know what? She's my ex-mother. You're my mom.
0: And just to think in terms of that journey of uh, foster parenting, adoption, he also did have the benefit of a good foster family. And I think that that speaks loudly to all kinds of foster families across the country.
1: Yeah, I mean, the woman who was his therapeutic foster care, Thorn was her 38th foster child. And therapeutic foster homes are really different. Like, this is the, you know, cream in the crop. These people are helping to rebuild children, you know, physically, emotionally, spiritually. I mean, she is just an amazing person who absolutely loved Thorn. You know, I talk about she wasn't trying to get a clunker off the lot. You know, she was a Porsche dealer, and she would wondered if we were good enough for Thorin, which I think is great. Yeah. You know, she did not see any deficit in Thorin. So, yes, I mean, I can't imagine the, the work that goes into that.
0: And obviously that was so beneficial to him in those earlier years because he was two and a half when he came to you, right? Right. Yeah. So those were important years uh, to establish something that he could use as a touchstone. Because then came the educational system, which I must say is so disheartening with your experience and how Thorne was treated and, and the attitudes. It was just mind-boggling. You no, know,
1: it really was. I mean, I, I think it depends on the district you're in. And I have heard from people that are teachers who are like, this is not what teaching is. And, you know, there are great educators out there and great administrators out there. I mean, we just didn't run into that many of them. You know, everything was through the lens of Thorin having Down syndrome. And he, you know, we were, my husband and I were really ignorant too, though. I mean, he was treated like the class mascot. You know, when he'd walk into the classroom, they would literally jump out of their seats to surround him. And I thought, oh, my gosh, how great. They love him. And it took a while to find out from Thorin, hey, I don't like that. You know, one, it makes me feel like a little baby, and it's frightening. And, you know, we were ignorant. We just assumed he would like that. And when you think about it, it's like who would want to be bombarded like that? So we had a lot of learning to do, too.
0: And I think what's interesting in the book, Not Always Happy, is to see that, yes, you were learning, and you still seem to come up with more ways of educating, working with Thorne than some of the educators in the school were with him, You know, thinking in terms of communication and using the iPad and what you were able to glean, but they seem to refuse to work with.
1: Yeah, I mean... Most of the kids who had disabilities, I mean, cognitive disabilities, were in a self-contained classroom. And, you know, so they're not in the regular mainstream. They might be for music or art or something like that. And we said we didn't want that. So it's easier for the school system to have kids with cognitive disabilities in self-contained classrooms because it's like, okay, they're just there and we don't have to deal with this plus everything else in a regular classroom. And I think, you know, free and appropriate education is not clearly defined in this country. So the idea of inclusion is really district by district or even classroom by classroom. I think until we have a legal standard of what inclusion looks like, schools will never be forced to become educated about how to include somebody with a cognitive disability. There's no consequence. It's a unenforceable civil right because we don't know what it looks like. And so I think that puts teachers at a real disadvantage. I mean, they don't even know, a lot of them don't even know what they're supposed to be doing.
0: Now, isn't that really disconcerting?
1: Right. Right. Well, you know, we're just at the tip of the iceberg of seeing disability as a civil rights issue. You know, we, we really worked hard, I think, as a society to educate ourselves about other areas of diversity. But when it comes to disability, we're still lagging. And I think it's going to be people with disabilities telling their stories, their advocates telling their stories, to keep opening that up.
0: And that being the case is where this book, Not Always Happy, An Unusual Parenting Journey, I think... Is part of that advocacy, is part of that enlightenment, I'm going to use that word, for the rest of us to really see into an actual family, a life that's going on. And so that we can really get more of that true story than think, oh, things are okay because we're not maybe directly impacted.
1: Right. Yes, because we can separate ourselves or we can separate those people from, you know, kind of the daily activities. You know, I mean, I think, I hope what people get is how typical Thorin is in so many regards. You know, I mean, he might have a more difficult time communicating that, but, you know, one thing, one, the first 18 months we had Thorin, he wouldn't call me mom. He called me ba. Now, he would call my husband, Ward, mom or dad. I mean, he had a complicated relationship with his mother, and his father wasn't there. And so he <laughs> he called the mailman mom 14 months before he called me that. And people were like, well, maybe he doesn't understand. And it was so clear, he was sort of like, I'm going to test you mm. We're gonna see how long you hang in. It was a very sophisticated and thoughtful approach of you haven't earned it yet, and you really—annoying <laughs> as, yeah. as it was sometimes—you really have to give them credit for that. Um, it's also a really smart strategy for somebody who's had a hard time in life, particularly with mothers.
0: Yes. Yes, we see how really very bright. He is, he was then, he continues to be in the way that he would have these various kinds of tests with, I'm calling them tests because they were that sort of thing, Uh, right? Really clever.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know, they talk about the honeymoon period with children, but in foster care that, you know, children are smart. I mean, Thorne was very smart about this. He started testing my temperament to see how it reacted things. I mean, you know, one time I just missed, I mean, only because I saw it out of the corner of my eye, I'm throwing a full container of applesauce at my head. You know, he's like, what are you gonna do when I do that? That's a very smart way to assess your environment.
0: Right. So we see how really bright and engaged this child is at home and then has all these challenges at school. But you began to see that, I'm going to say fairly early on, because after first, did he even really finish first grade at school?
1: He did. He did finish first grade. We started homeschooling that summer, at the end of that summer. But, I mean, he wasn't really, you know, I talk about in the book, you know, when I asked the, his first grade teacher how he was doing, and she's like, well, I'm not really his teacher. And I felt like I'd been kicked in the chest. I was like, well, he thinks you are. And she's like, oh, that's so nice. And it was like she was oblivious to the fact he was in her classroom every day. Yet she didn't see herself as his teacher. And the fact that that didn't trouble her or, you know, cause her some kind of like, like, what am I doing here? Why wouldn't I think that? Mm -hmm. So, no, I mean, it was I would say he finished first grade, but I don't think he got a first grade education. And
0: during which time also that year, so often he'd be miserable. He was crying. Sometimes he seemed to regress being in the classroom.
1: He really, really did, you know, his stomach always hurt, like he was talking less, his emotions were very hard for him to contain and, you know, I think some people thought of behavioral issues and, you know, Ward and I, my husband were like, you know, this is, I'm trying to imagine if I was in an environment where I wasn't treated like other people, I'd probably have, you know, anyone would be unhappy, desperately unhappy and all of that changed when we started homeschooling. Like, Thorn came back to himself and actually even stronger. Like, he really just embraced learning. It just was the best experience. It still is.
0: So, you are continuing to homeschool.
1: We really are. You know, we entered it. Like, I feel like Ward and I are like feet of the pants parents. Like, we find ourselves in these situations we'd never imagined. You know, we we moved to homeschooling in a very desperate way, and now I, I think it is our philosophy. You know, I'm not really interested in Thorin being in an environment where he's constantly assessed and observed, and I'd rather have him learning. And to see him excited about learning and learning at his own pace, and I don't think that's just, For children who have Down syndrome, I hear that from a lot of homeschoolers for their children. So it turned out to be a great match.
0: Well, learning, I've heard said, you know, learning happens as we're having fun and doing things we love. There are those aspects of just different things that we probably wouldn't even learn in the classroom. Like right at the outset there, when you said to Thorne, what is it that you'd like to do? And he said ballet.
1: Well, what an amazing, right? right? Yes, that floored me. I mean, one, why wasn't I asking those things before, right? (laughs) Like, I think we should be asking our children, what do you want to do? Not everyone take violin lessons or, you know, everyone does soccer. And when he said ballet, if I hadn't asked, would I have ever found out?
0: And he did so amazingly at it too, right? But he loves it, he, yeah. But even if he didn't, the fact that he would want to go out and try it and, and then assess, well, maybe it's not the thing I want. You choose something else, but you're, he's loving it.
1: Yeah, he's done three years of dance, three years of theater. He Also, I do a movie class with he and a friend of his. Yeah, I mean, he children know what they love. And I think we're so quick to tell them what they need to do. And I just think about, you know, there's a lot of 40-year-olds going, well, you know, once I'm done with everything, then I'll enjoy life. And it's like, you know, (laughs) you, you know what? You could have enjoyed it as a little kid if your parents encouraged you to. Yes.
0: And as I read that, I was thinking about a teacher of an alternative school that did this kind of thing. That's what the school was about. Students chose these different kinds of activities where they would learn reading and math and science in the context of this activity that they really wanted to pursue and learn more about.
1: Oh, I love that. Yes, yes. That makes so much more sense. I mean, I think... That's how we're naturally, when you said play is learning, I think that's what we've lost track of, is exactly that. That so much is learned in those kind of interactions. You don't have to tell children they're learning something, just let them learn it.
0: And sometimes, as in Thorne's case, they learn it in their own way of discovery, like his photography. I was just blown away with, you know, the little bit that I saw.
1: Yeah, you know, that happened. We didn't even know. (laughs) It makes us sound really like technophobes. But we didn't realize there was a camera on his iPad. And my mom and I found all these photos. And his sophistication in taking photographs really grew. Like they became these documentary compositions. And what we had to learn was to stay out of it. You know, because I'd be like, oh, we'll take a photo of this. And, you know, he's an artist. If I, no, I won't. That uh, does not interest me. <laughs> um, and the more we step back from it, the more he was able to embrace it. And I we realized for somebody who's had a very difficult time being understood verbally, his photographs are... Startling in terms of how concrete they are. Um, and it's really, it's just been great seeing him grow with that.
0: And that just illustrates how children, and here where someone might say, oh, but he has Down syndrome, so uh, he can't be capable. No, he decided what, he found that camera button. He did this right. on his own, this little right. child. Yes.
1: Yes, yes, and I think, you know, that's what we forget is kids, and you're right, the, the idea is that, oh, how could a kid with Down syndrome do that? And then that's when you realize, oh, that whole process to search for passion and beauty and meaning in life, that's just in us. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And that's the gift
0: I feel that you bring to us, Kari, with not always happy and unusual parenting journey is to give us these insights. What went on for you that, you know, if you didn't have a manual. There's no uh, text that says, okay, here are the steps. Uh, and you're not saying that this is the text for someone, but it can be heartening and for But all of us need to read it to become that much more aware of how we can be really loving, understanding, kind participants in this world.
1: Wow. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for saying that. But isn't that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I. I think. I think. I'm like a flawed human being. And I'm pretty honest about that in the book, and I think that as parents, we have to almost start there because we're constantly over managing our children, and we need to see that we all need space to breathe. You know, we all we're imperfect, um, and we hopefully we learn from our imperfections that it's a strength. Um, we we are not in need of fixing, and that's particularly true for children with disabilities. I think that that is the go-to point: how to make them like other people, and that's that, that's not um, that's not necessary.
0: And actually, regardless of our abilities, we don't want to be all the same. That's not who we are. That's not our purpose. We don't all have the same purpose. So to see that individuality and to see the person as being capable, right?
1: Yes. Yes. I mean, we will rise to the occasion and we will lower ourselves to the occasion based, particularly when we're children, based on how people perceive us. You know, one of the really amazing people in the book is the art teacher who saw Thorne's photograph yes. and, you know, had him gave him the display windows in the hallway of the, the main hallway of the school to display his artwork. I mean, she said, Thorne, these are good for somebody of any age. And then to me privately said, you know, this is going to change the way people, this could change the way people see children with Down syndrome which told me she really thought about Thorin's place in the world, you know, at school. Um, And that moment was a moment of inclusion and pride in who he was. And it just takes so little. It takes a teacher who's like, you know what, I'm going to take this time out of my day to um, help this child um, realize themselves.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Yes, is to see the person go beyond appearances, but see what they are doing and, and engage in that and and encourage them.
1: Right. I mean, which is so much different than, um, you know, sit in your chair, um, stare straight ahead, <laughs> all these other things. Like, and we're all going to learn the same thing, you know, with art. What's so great is, you know, you're the creator of it. Nobody, you know, um, it comes from within you. And I think the same way when you we were talking about that alternative school, reading, writing, math, the, you know, this um, searching for knowledge, that it's already there. We don't have to tend to it.
0: That's right. Let's see it as part of. Of our life, and it gives us that good foundation to really build upon as we are growing up and being adults and living in the world.
1: Yes, yeah. yes, and I mean, I think for me it helps that I was really a late bloomer. You know, I mean, I didn't. I married my husband in my forties. You know, I um, I went to college late. I, you know, it wasn't like I was out there setting the world on fire. Um, So I think this idea that we all do things at the same time never really appealed to me. Um, It just didn't work for me. And so I have a very different perspective in some ways when it comes to Thorin. I don't see these things as delays. I think it is his path. So his path looks like this. Like, that's, that's great.
0: So aren't you just the perfect mother, perfect mommy? No, 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 no for no. Thorin. You're the perfect mommy for oh. Thorin.
1: Yeah, I Did feel you? like he's the perfect son for me. Like, yeah, it really is. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, I mean, I just, I can't imagine um, a better child.
0: And that, that is so lovely. Well, you know, we could really carry on for a much longer conversation, but sadly, the clock dictates (laughs) that we need to be wrapping up. And so it's my opportunity to thank you once again, Kari Kari Wagner-Peck, for being so open and willing to share your story because it's As we said earlier on, stories are the way that we learn, and they engage us. And so your book, Not Always Happy and Unusual Parenting Journey, is available at all our favorite book sources, correct?
1: Yep, and on Amazon. So if you have a favorite bookseller, yes, um, see if they have it or ask them to order it. Um, And it's also on Amazon. And if you're interested in knowing more about it, um, my website is kariwagnerpeck.com. And so that is information on the book and my performance storytelling, and also a link to my blog.
0: That's so great. Well, Kari, it has been just such a wonderful opportunity to have this time with you. And I really value what you're doing, and thank you for sharing it with us.
1: Thank you for getting it, Kate. Like, I'm just like, thank you so much. I really appreciate it.
0: Well, Okay, you're so welcome. It It's, okay. you know, it was just such a great read. And with that, we are at the end of a very full hour of Inspirational Women with Kari Wagner-Peck and Sunday Morning Magazine with Mary Lou and Kayla Bellasone and Lori Hardy from Lutheran Community Services Northwest. I'm Kate Daniels, your host, and I so greatly appreciate your sharing this hour with me and these special guests. For details you might have missed or information you'd like to know, Please just send me an email, kated at warm1069.com, and I will get right back to you. Also, if you'd like to listen again or share these important stories with your family and friends, find the podcast. It's on our Warm 106.9 webpage. Click on the Honor tab, then Sunday mornings, and look for the show and guest names. I now wish you and your family a day of feeling our connection to our community through foster care and adoption. Have a week of the same and then please plan to join me again next weekend for another hour of Sunday Morning Magazine and Inspirational Women on Warm 106.9, the station to pick you up and make you feel good. Good morning.